Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. Today I want to discuss a basic issue, and that is, what is actually Holy Scripture? Does Christianity promote the true Holy Scripture, or supersede it with something else? Now, as you listen to this, please do not jump to conclusions. Do not jump to the conclusion that I am attacking the New Testament in any way. I am not attacking the inspiration of the New Testament. All right? Keep that in mind. My primary point that I will make within this discussion is that many people, particularly Christians, need to understand that the ultimate source of truth revered by Messiah and all his original followers in the New Testament was and is the Tanakh, irreverently called the Old Testament within Christianity. Again, that's Tanakh. And that it is wrong to ever think that the Tanakh is superseded or overruled by the New Testament, which unfortunately is the typical practice within Christianity. Again, the Tanakh, and I'll use the term Tanakh throughout this discussion And when I say that, just know, you Christians, that I'm referring to what, unfortunately, Christianity very uh, irreverently calls the Old Testament. The living God's teachings are not old, and to be honest, Christians, you really need to get out of the habit of calling the Creator's material old. It's not old. It is every bit as relevant as it ever has been. So I'll use the term Tanakh. I end this discussion with a clear series of statements defining my unwavering reverence for the New Testament. Please listen to this with an open mind and without predetermined conclusions until you absorb all that I have said and spend some time pondering the enormity of this issue, because this is actually a very, very significant, extremely important issue. Now, although the primary target audience for this material, and frankly for the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts in general, is Christians. However, the point made herein applies equally to those who embrace what I call Akiva Judaism, or commonly known as Rabbinic or Orthodox Judaism. In fact, If truth be told, it actually applies more directly to Akiva Judaism, since Akiva Judaism unapologetically elevates a massive volume of writings above the pure Holy Scripture. Depending on which Bible version you look at, it's either in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32, or Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1, the living God directly and unambiguously states that you are not to add to or take away from his Torah or eternal instructions. However, Judaism, within Akiva Judaism, the Talmud and virtually any other writings of the Chazal, that is the, uh, the most revered sages of Judaism, are elevated to a position that is explicitly equal to and frankly implicitly above the Tanakh, 
which is the true Holy Hebrew Scriptures, commonly known to Christians again as the Old Testament. Depending upon the individual Jew, additional material from various revered rabbis of later centuries are similarly elevated, and that may include even modern rabbis. Now, again, let me very quickly, Chazal. I said that word, Chazal. Chazal is an acronym from a Hebrew word which in English equates to the phrase, Our sages, may their memory be blessed. So when you hear me say Chazal, it's basically referring to the sages of Akiva Judaism. It refers to Jewish sages of the Mishnah, Tosefta, and Talmud errors, spanning from the times of the final 300 years of the Second Temple in Jerusalem until around the 7th century CE, or roughly from 250 BCE to 625 CE or thereabouts. People who were unfamiliar with Akiva Judaism would be utterly shocked by how many teachings and writings are shamelessly exalted to a level every bit as defined as anything found within the written word of God, that is the Tanakh. Any rabbi or practicing Jew who denies this clear fact is being wholly disingenuous, or more to the point, is blatantly lying. All a person needs to do is read Judaic literature or listen to rabbis as they teach, and my point is conclusively proven. I mean, people, seriously, before I end this introduction, whether it be the Talmud, the uh, many different Midrashim, Midrashim basically refers to commentaries, and there's numerous Midrashim, Midrash Rabbah, Midrash Takumah, there's numerous Midrashim. You have even modern rabbis, you have the Zohar, you have the Tanya, you have, there's so much material that Akiva Judaism elevates to a level that is actually usurping God's word, and that is easy, easy to prove. And that's one of the things that's most disappointing. When I see people become enamored by Akiva Judaism, I, I just wince because they have no idea what they're actually being drawn into. Akiva Judaism, very definitely, without a doubt, elevates the opinions and writings of their sages above, yes, above the written word, the Tanakh. And it is so easy to prove that. And I will do that perhaps in a future podcast. But for this particular podcast, I want to focus on how Christianity does the same, basically, using the New Testament. But it needs to be understood, compared to the problem within Judaism, Christianity's problem with the New Testament is almost negligible. I mean, to be honest, because the New Testament is a rather small book itself. If you were to put the, a New Testament next to the writings that Akiva Judaism uses to overrule and usurp the Tanakh, it would be, you would hardly notice it. There would be this massive stack of, of material from Judaism and this little tiny book that you could hardly see from Christianity. So the, the problem within Akiva Judaism is much, much worse. And again, anyone within Judaism or anyone who is enamored by Judaism or attracted to Judaism who denies that is a liar. Or they may just be ignorant and not realize how serious the problem is. But any rabbi who does it is a blatant liar. All right. Now, continuing on. 
the true rule book of the kingdom. And I'm going to use a, a story, just a made-up parable, if you will, to illustrate the problem. Two teams met to take part in an athletic contest. The players took their positions, and the game began. But wait, almost immediately whistles were blown and accusations hurled as each team charged the other with committing grievous fouls. It soon became obvious the game was doomed from the start. Why? What could cause such an immediate termination of an event in which all participants were sincere in their desire to take part in the contest according to the rules? Indeed, each team vehemently accused the other side of breaking the rules while claiming to be perfect in their obedience to the rulebook. There were a few among the participants, unfortunately very few, who truly wished to continue the game. So, as the majority of their team members departed in anger, these few sincere players decided to meet to resolve the reasons for the disputes. They peacefully assembled, took out their rule books, and began to passionately point to the rules they felt the other side had broken. What? There is something terribly wrong here, they exclaimed. Why, you have a totally different rule book. Thus, the reason for the problem became obvious. Each team had their own rulebook, and they were completely different from one another. The rules or laws of one were missing entirely from the other. In fact, one side's rulebook forcefully stated that the rules that were so clearly defined in their opponent's rulebook had been abolished or superseded long ago. Compromise was impossible. There was only one solution. The true, authentic rulebook had to be found. Until the actual rules were established from an eternal, unchanging, authentic rulebook, the game could not continue. My friend, such is the problem today in the Judeo-Christian faith. The rulebook that is, the actual teachings of God, has fallen victim to man's deceptions and traditions. My intent is to prove exactly what is the final authority in all matters of doctrine. And again, my primary audience here is Christians. So this discussion is focused on Christians. The problem is even worse within Judaism, but I'm for this podcast, for this particular discussion, I'm not going to delve into that. I realize emotions run high when tradition is at risk. I realize most Christians may despise me and consider me a heretic for even suggesting what I plan to prove within this discussion. Yet, I stand by my belief because it is irrefutable from Scripture, and I challenge anyone to show from Scripture that I am wrong. Thus far, no one has been able, despite the fact this particular discussion has been, the tor- has been on the TorahMessiah.org website, for probably, oh, I would say 15 to 19 years, probably something like 18 years. The problem should be obvious to all. 
There are literally thousands of different groups that claim to be Christian. And even among individual groups or denominations, there exist divisions and spin-off organizations. When a person tries to count all the various separate groups claiming to be the true representatives of the Christian faith, he finds the task to be impossible. The number of separate groups is always in a state of flux, thus no one really knows at any given instant the exact number of organizations. Before the census of groups can be totaled, there has undoubtedly arisen a few more, or perhaps some have merged together so that there are a few less. Suffice it to say, there is a real problem when so many groups all claim to be following the same Bible. Strangely, and worthy of notice, the same situation does not exist as badly within Judaism. There are actually only three main branches of Judaism, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox. Although it is true that there are slight variations among each group and within each group. Some may include the Hasidim as a separate group, but I prefer to include them within the Orthodox faith. Nevertheless, the horrible level of division and doctrinal disagreement present in Christianity is not as present within Judaism, although some may argue that since Reform Judaism, in realistic terms, doesn't revere the Torah, that it causes a major division with conservative and orthodox groups. I agree on that point, actually, but the level of condemnation within Judaic groups would still be less than what can be found among the many thousands of Christian organizations, where it is common for one group to viciously claim that members of other groups are likely going to hell. The divisions within Judaism primarily focus on a single issue, the extent to which the Torah, or teachings of God, is to be strictly followed. There is also disagreement over the extent to which the oral Torah, Halakha, Kabbalah, Midrashim, etc., basically the opinions of the sages, is to be considered. However, the situation within Christianity is worse. It is so bad that a person must stretch the bounds of reason to even call the various denominations and splinter groups one single religion. Truthfully, Christianity is a mixture of literally thousands of diverse belief systems, many of which differ dramatically from one another and often represent what effectively are completely different religious systems categorized under the term Christianity with all claiming to be the true biblical faith. But you may be thinking, what could I mean by this suggestion? Doesn't everyone use the Bible? In answer to your question, I pose the following question. What exactly is the Bible? Or, more importantly, who exactly should define what is the Bible or what is Holy Scripture? I will present my case by answering three simple questions. Question number one, who should define what is Holy Scripture? Question number two, 
what do they define as Holy Scripture? And finally, question number three, what is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice? Are there scriptures that are subject to other scriptures? Okay, question number one, who should define Holy Scripture? The Apostle Peter said in his second epistle, and this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. From this we get a hint as to who should define Scripture. According to Peter, no prophecy of the Scripture should be privately or individually interpreted, but should be consistent with the intent of the original author of Scripture. How much more so for the very definition of prophecy or Scripture itself? I see no need to belabor the answer to our first question. Who should define Scripture? The answer is obvious. Scripture should define Scripture. Now, continuing, doesn't using Scripture to define Scripture lead us into a perpetual circle from which there is no escape? No, absolutely not. Christians exalt, as inspired, the writings of the followers of Yeshua, commonly known by his false name, Jesus. Thus, we should let those great men of faith tell us what Scripture is. And they very clearly do. So, we will let them, the writers of the New Testament, the original followers of the New Testament, be the final authority. And by doing so, we will let them define Scripture. In other words, we will let the New Testament Scripture define Holy Scripture. Therefore, in answer to the first question, who should define Scripture? I repeat the following, Scripture, the biblical authors themselves, should define Scripture, and we should never overrule or tamper with their definition. Question number two, what do they define as Holy Scripture? Or what does Scripture define as Scripture? Now, this is amazing. A simple word study of the term Scripture in the New Testament reveals an immense truth. And this is going to be surprising to virtually any Christian that listens to this. Every single passage in the New Testament in which the term Scripture is used, with the possible exception of one, which I will prove later actually is not an exception, clearly refers to the Tanakh to be what they considered to be the Holy Word of God. Every, scripture, every term, every use of the term Scripture in the New Testament clearly shows what the New Testament writers considered to be the Holy Word of God, and in every single case, the New Testament definition of Scripture is the Tanakh. 
I actually list on the website every single occurrence in the New Testament where the term Scripture is found. And at the end of this discussion, probably in part two or part three, depending on how many parts we go, I will actually read through every single occurrence where the term Scripture is used. To be certain I got every instance, I even searched for the Greek word that is translated as Scripture. So, one out of a total of 51, yes, 51 New Testament passages may imply that the New Testament is of equal inspiration to the Tanakh. Excuse me, to the Tanakh. If one actually reads the New Testament without bias, it will be clear how central and final in authority Yeshua and his original followers considered the sacred writings to be, which they clearly define as Scripture. And again, I will show later that the one potential verse that some may say equates the New Testament to Scripture does not do so. So in reality, 51 out of 51 passages in the New Testament which utilize the term Scripture refer to the Tanakh as Holy Scripture. So, what we have is a situation where, according to the number of verses in the New Testament that define Scripture, the Tanakh is clearly presented as the Holy Scriptures. And again, as you will soon see, that one verse in the New Testament that some may attempt to use as proof that the New Testament is Holy Scripture also does not prove it at all. So, is it not puzzling how so many Christians rarely study the very Bible that Yeshua and his followers studied, that is, the Tanakh? Is it not strange that the sacred writ considered as the ultimate source of wisdom and understanding by Yeshua and his followers is today being preached as abolished, changed, superseded, or only of historical significance within most of Christianity? Is it not repulsively odd how many preachers claim to be New Testament believers by unabashedly promoting the concept that the Old Testament or Tanakh is superseded by the New Testament or is of only limited application today. Isn't it strange how, even though the New Testament leaves absolutely no doubt that the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh, are what Yeshua and his disciples considered Scripture, almost no time is invested by most Christians to study those Hebrew scriptures. Very few Christians ever read the Tanakh. Indeed, a true New Testament Christian, if he or she follows the teachings of the authors of the New Testament, must accept the Tanakh as the ultimate supremely authoritative scripture to be used for an understanding of truth. Otherwise, he or she is in direct conflict with the New Testament writers whom they claim to follow. It is obvious that many Christian leaders are not following the clear instructions of Yeshua and his original followers 
because such leaders often declare as dead or virtually useless the very Bible, that is the Tanakh, that the apostles considered alive and of infinite, everlasting worth. The very Bible used and preached from by our Messiah, Yeshua, and by his followers, by being constantly overruled by the New Testament, particularly by misinterpreted application of the Apostle Paul's epistles, has effectively been discarded from the church or relegated to lesser importance. And that's true. The very Bible Yeshua and all all his followers used has been effectively kicked out of the church and replaced with the New Testament. There is perhaps no better example of the clear embrace of the Tanakh as Scripture by a New Testament writer than is shown in Paul's second letter to Timothy. Here, the writer most often exalted by Christians unambiguously reveals what he considered to be Holy Scripture. And by the way, this letter was written probably shortly before the Apostle Paul's death. So these are among his last written words. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Again, basically among his parting words to those whom he loved. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Sincere preachers all over the world erroneously force the passages that I just read to refer to the New Testament as Holy Scripture and use it to support study of the New Testament. Well, if this is so, would someone please explain to me how Timothy, from a child, could have known to study as part of the Holy Scriptures a letter from the Apostle Paul that he would not receive for many years until he later grew to be a young man? And what of the other epistles of Paul and other writings that were possibly not written during the time Timothy was a child? Since the New Testament was literally centuries away from even being canonized, how did the Apostle Paul possibly expect Timothy to study the New Testament as part of those holy scriptures, since they were not to exist for centuries. Was Paul suggesting reincarnation? Obviously, if this passage is referring to the New Testament, he must have been expecting Timothy to study the New Testament several lives later. Did Timothy experience a miraculous time warp that is not recorded in the New Testament? Did Doctor Who from the popular British show of the same name 
arrive and give Timothy a ride in his magical telephone booth to a different place and time? It seems most New Testament Christians wish for us to believe the impossible. Paul was not even aware of a New Testament when this letter to Timothy was written. There was no such thing as the New Testament writings during Paul's ministry or during the whole time frame of the New Testament. Therefore, to imply that this passage in which Paul encourages Timothy to study Scripture applies to the New Testament is beyond the realm of possibility if the actual intent of the author is applied. I wish more Christians were not afraid to ask questions or were not ostracized for doing so. I pray the Most High hastens the day that the power of blind tradition is broken and scriptural sanity and sincerity is finally established in the Christian faith. A primary means to accomplish this is to use the same scriptures as did Messiah and his loyal followers. It is undeniable that Paul, in his exhortation to Timothy, is advising him to study the Tanakh, or Old Testament. Furthermore, it may surprise most Christians that Paul proves in his letter to Timothy that he, Paul, considered the Tanakh, not the New Testament, to be the source of doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction, and that the Tanakh, not the New Testament, makes one wise unto salvation, and that the Tanakh, not the New Testament, makes one perfect and thoroughly furnished. Yet, I know of virtually no Christian today who actually uses the Tanakh as their source for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, salvation, wisdom, perfection, and to be thoroughly furnished. How can anyone possibly teach that the Tanakh, which Paul so eloquently advises his, his beloved son in the faith to study, is abolished, superseded, or of no significant value to the Christian? Quite frankly, such teaching is ludicrous, blasphemous, and in direct opposition to the New Testament instructions that Christians claim to follow. So a clear fact is presented by 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4-17. through 17. A fact that in the past has brought upon me fury and condemnation from many Christians. And that fact is this. It is obvious. The Apostle Paul did not intend the letter to Timothy nor any of the other New Testament writings to be equated to Holy Scripture that he advised Timothy to study for knowledge of truth. It is also obvious Paul had no other scripture in mind except for the Tanakh when he wrote his letter to Timothy. Why is this so clear? My friend, the answer is implicitly obvious. To repeat, the New Testament, which includes this letter to Timothy, had not even been canonized as Scripture at the time Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. 
There was no such thing as a New Testament in Paul's mind. It did not exist and would not exist for hundreds of years. Paul, in his wildest imaginations, would never have thought that just a few hundred years later and for millennia to come, his personal letters would be placed on an equal level with the Holy Scriptures he deeply loved, much less used to destroy or overrule the teachings of those beloved Scriptures, the Tanakh. And yes, some may say, well, they were circulating the letters, so they in effect had a rough New Testament. That itself first had to wait until all the material of the New Testament was written, all the epistles, all the Gospels, etc., So first, that had to occur, and then someone would have had to collect the letters. So even that did not occur until probably at least at the earliest, the second century. Paul, as well as the other writers of the New Testament, would lead the charge of those passionately calling for a return to the true scriptures, the Tanakh. It is undeniable that Paul, in his exhortation to Timothy, is clearly advising him to study the Tanakh, not the New Testament, and is clearly considering Holy Scripture to be the Tanakh. All right, I'm going to pause here and end this part one, and we will begin part two discussing 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. That's the verse or this, the area of, of uh, passages that Christians may sometimes use to allegedly prove that the New Testament can also be considered Scripture. Well, as you'll see in part 2, it does not prove that at all. So again, the purpose of this discussion is to hopefully arouse in the minds of Christians the need, the important importance, the crucial nature of studying the Tanakh and of utilizing the Tanakh, what they call the Old Testament, as the primary, the primary source of truth. And it's for a simple reason, because everyone in the New Testament did. Everyone did without exception. The Tanakh was their Bible. The Tanakh is what they considered scriptures. The New Testament did not exist. So if you want to be a true follower of Christ, a true follower of Yeshua the Messiah, then at a bare minimum, you need to at least use the same Bible they did, right? Okay, so we'll end here. And we'll pick up up in part two, and thank you for listening. Goodbye.